You're listening to another episode of the Zag. Eric Kosob here. Excited to be joined by Isaiah Thomas, a founding member of NLC Phillies class back in 2011. He's got some exciting news, recent happenings in his life. So let's get to it. All right, Isaiah, it's pretty actually rare to talk to somebody who was in a founding class of a chapter. How'd you hear about NLC in the first place, and what was that first year like? So for me, I found out about NLC because I had a desire to run for office. And at the time, I had a political mentor who I worked for for a short stint, but who also sat on the board of NLC Philadelphia. And when they decided to launch it and that first class was introduced, he recommended me for it. And for me, it was just a phenomenal experience that put me in a position to really understand exactly the journey that I was embarking on as it related to running for office. So from 2011 to when you decided to run, was there a big gap, a short gap? When was your first race? Sure. So I actually, for me, it was ironic because I was going through the fellowship while I was campaigning. So uh, I like to call myself a theoretical <laughs> practitioner. But, uh, ironically enough, NLC was telling me all the things that I was actually doing wrong after I had did it wrong already. <laughs> so uh, it was a unique experience. But I, I so I first decided to run for city council in 2010. That race, uh, that election day was in 2011. And NLC, our class started in January of 2011. So by the time our fellows, our cohort graduated, it was actually right before election day. For me. Got it. And then so give us a scoop on your most re- re- most recent race and what the outcome was. So. That started my journey, and here I am now in 2019. I actually won the city council at large race in Philadelphia, the same journey I started in 2010, the same race. Uh, the primary, May 21st, I actually came in third place. I was the top. I was the third. I got the third most votes out of anyone as far as uh, folks running for the race. We had over 25 people in the race, one of the most competitive council at large mm-hmm. races we've seen in recent history. So I was very proud of myself and my team for essentially pulling off that accomplishment and winning the primary. And for us in Philadelphia, uh, fortunately and unfortunately, we don't really have a strong uh, minority party here. So the general, specifically for council at large, is more of a formality. And I put myself in a position to win the general race, coming in second place with over 178,000 votes. And now poised and positioned to transition and be the youngest member of city council from January 2020. So when there's a field of 25, uh, what's your thought process on trying to stand out, carve out your own lane? How does it actually work? So I, I think I actually think the number was closer to 30. Okay. I don't remember the exact number. And for me, the foundation was laid because I had ran twice before that. And in 2015, I had come very, very close to winning. With there being vacant seats, with me already having name ID, with a lot of people in the city knowing me, not just because of my political work, but also because of other hats and networks that I'm a part of, I think it put me in a position where I had a bigger base than a lot of folks that were already running. So I was able to stand out because of that. I was also able to stand out because my name is Isaiah Thomas. Of course, that helps. <laughs> and I think, I think what I was also able to do was just put together a unique coalition of supporters that represented a number of different aspects of life, which kind of put my influence in a position where it was citywide. And my campaign was was strong. It was citywide. It was touching every neighborhood. It, it didn't just focus on a specific area or a specific uh, demographic. So 
it was a unique situation for me. I again proud of my team and I and everybody that supported me and looking forward to January. And then because you had run before and not won, did anyone tell you not to risk running again and not winning? Actually, I didn't get much of that pushback this time around. I did get that in 2015. Mm -hmm. 2019, I think, because there were vacant seats. This is actually the first time I ran, and and there were not five incumbents seeking re-election. So the fact that there were vacant seats, I think, more or less changed the dialogue around whether or not folks should participate in the race. When when, when incumbents are running for a re-election, you'll always have folks who talk to you and encourage you that it's not a good idea to run. But when they're big in seats, it's very difficult to have a conversation with somebody and encourage them not to essentially do something. And uh, for me, you know, I had this time I earned the support of a lot of people. I had the support of the mayor, uh, the council president, the Democratic Party, most of the unions in the city, and a lot of the elected officials, both on a municipal level as well as on a state level. And then having run before Trump and run after Trump, what was the biggest difference in the climate as you were knocking on doors or talking to people? Yeah, I think that's I, I, that's actually a great question. I think I think the fact that two thousand the, the two thousand nineteen race came post Trump is what prompted so many people to be in the race. I think I think that is the reason why we've seen more people run for council at large here in Philadelphia in the two thousand nineteen primary more than what we've seen in in recent history. Um, so the climate as far as people wanting to get involved has increased significantly. Uh, the level of participation, I think, the ownership that people feel. As far as feeling obligated to essentially uh, do something about about representation, not just federal, but local and state as well. I think that I've seen a different level of energy around uh, local government and elections than any other time that I've been a candidate running for office. So while we do have a lot of <laughs> issues with what is being done in the executive branch of, uh, of our, our federal government, as far as um, 45 in the White House, one of the positives that I've seen as far as takeaways is just the level of enthusiasm and engagement that we see from not just candidates, but average constituents who actually want to listen to your message and what it is you plan on doing compared to in the past when we've seen voter participation be significantly lower than what it is right now. Yeah. When we come back, we'll talk to Isaiah a little bit more about what he actually does want to do now that he's elected and on the city council in Philly. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Zag. We'll be right back. All right. So are you officially seated yet or are you still waiting for that to happen? And, and if you are seated, what's uh, kind of the one or two top priorities you want to hit? So I, I actually get sworn in January 6th of 2020. Mm-hmm. And for me, when I'm sworn in, there are a number of different things that I really want to do. Uh, for me, it's a quality of life. We have a number of quality of life issues here in the city of Philadelphia. And when you look at where we are in Philadelphia, and I know you're listening to audiences all across the country, but uh, just to put a little context into things. Uh, Philadelphia is one of the poorest big cities in the entire country right now. Uh, We have over 20% of our population living in poverty. We have significant issues with our schools. We also have a significant gun violence issue. And when you look at that cycle, the, the demographic that suffers more than anyone else is our children. And for me, as a former teacher, as a person who don't have a traditional political background, I really want to be a strong advocate as it relates to quality of life issues for our children. We're talking about what takes place in brick and mortar school settings, but we're also looking at what takes place after school as well as in the summertime. And that is something that I'm extremely passionate about because I recognize 
that when we put ourselves in a position where we can assure that our children have the resources that they need to have a fair advantage, no matter what zip code they live in, we put ourselves in a position as a municipality to assure that we're thinking in the, in, the, in the best interest of our future. And I'm concerned with how we treat our children. I'm concerned with the number of quality of life issues in Philadelphia. And my goal come January 6th is to really hit the ground running as it relates to how we provide support and services for our young people. And then are you seeing some of the same debates and challenges we're seeing out here in Los Angeles in terms of the type of schools available to folks? So by that, I mean, here in LA, we had a strike in January, and, and a lot of at the crux of that strike is divisions between charter school folks and traditional school folks. Is that something that's happening out there as well, or there's different challenges as, as folks try to figure out how to make schools better? So unfortunately, we do have that versus narrative where folks feel like there's this dialogue of traditional neighborhood schools versus charter schools. I, I really do not like the versus component of that. We do have some good uh, traditional neighborhood schools. We do have some good charter schools, but we have some on both sides that struggle. Mm -hmm. And that is one issue that we're facing on the academic side here in the city of Philadelphia. But because we have deep poverty and significant gun violence and our schools are underfunded, uh, we have infrastructure issues with our schools. And we also have an outdated curriculum as it relates to the type of uh, mandates our children essentially go through when they're going through our traditional neighborhood schools. And so there are a number of different concerns. We, we have seen some level of improvement as far as our graduation rate. Um, we are seeing some innovative things taking place as it relates to dual enrollment opportunities and opportunities uh, for internships and even employment. But it's not happening on a broad scale to the point where as though the majority of our children, no matter what zip code they live in, have an opportunity to receive a quality education no matter what school they go to. And then what's your advice? We have a couple of alums out here who've, who've run and won. And one of the things I've been curious to watch is how they've tried to engage with state politics or even national politics, even though they're sitting on, say, a local school board or they're on a smaller city council. Uh, I noticed you've already endorsed a presidential candidate. And I was just curious, how do you see yourself trying to engage in the national conversation that's happening, even though you're spending the majority of your time trying to do great things for Philly? I mean, for me, voter participation is something that is absolutely mandatory for elected officials to participate in. And I think it's really important that we start with what's taking place in D.C. And so for me, um, I see myself as a person who's going to be an advocate for people to participate in elections, but not just constituents and citizens who traditionally participate in elections. I really want to have it as a goal to educate, inform and energize people in the city as it relates to being involved in voting and not just voting in presidential races, but voting every year, twice a year. Ironically enough, I was just in Harrisburg yesterday with some of my future colleagues. And the goal there is to build bridges and to recognize opportunities to be able to collaborate and work together and do what we feel like is in the best interest of the constituents in Philadelphia. Because right now as a city, uh, a lot of our constituents are struggling while a significant number of the population is also thriving. So we got this unique whirlwind that we're essentially facing. And the goal is, is to put all Philadelphians in a position where they can have a quality opportunity to earn a good living for themselves and their family. And essentially right now that's not happening. And so the only way that's going to happen is if there's some level of collaboration and cooperation through all levels of government. And so that's why I see it as my role, not just to encourage and energize people as it relates to participating in elections, but also make recommendations where I see fit to, to who folks should vote, uh, should, should vote for mm -hmm. and why they vote for those particular candidates. Yeah, that makes sense. Hey, last thing, give 
folks something to look for in 2020, whether it's something happening in Philly that you want folks to pay attention to, even if they don't live there or something nationally you think folks aren't paying attention to, but should, what, what should be something top of mind for folks? I mean, for me, one of the things that's at the top of my mind is just the movement that's taking place all across the country as it relates to mass incarceration. And when you look at the issue of mass incarceration, a lot of people call it the Jim Crow of our era, but it's one of the few issues that we've been able to see co- uh, collaborations across the aisle as it relates to criminal justice reform and probation reform and different things that's happening in a variety of states all across the country. And in 2020, no matter what happens at the executive branch, I anticipate us as a country continuing to see progress as it relates to how we incarcerate, incriminate, and what happens as far as people being given the opportunity to uh, return to to return as, as it relates to being a regular citizen. Yeah, sounds great. Well, listen, congrats on your victory and thanks for coming on. Thanks everyone also for listening to this episode of The Zag. You can catch all past episodes and all the places you get your podcast, Apple, Google, SoundCloud, Spotify, Stitcher. They're all there. Over 155 plus episodes of really interesting, awesome progressives doing amazing things. So until next time, we'll catch you soon.